This is episode 130 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are America's Power Grid, Vulnerable or Not? The Top 12 Barter Items to Stock Up On Now? And Are You Toilet Paper Prepared? Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, uh, before we get started, today's the big eclipse day. I know uh, some of you are, are going to be looking at, you know, looking forward to that, looking at that. I don't know. I guess I will. I'm going to be at work, and maybe I'll head out uh, uh, and see partial a partial eclipse down here in Houston. Uh, I've seen some pictures of traffic and things, just people gearing up for that. That's just that's just mind-boggling uh, that people would, you know, uh, spend all that time for two and a half, uh, two and a half minutes. But I I totally understand. This is like a one-time thing in in a lifetime thing, I guess. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's a uh, some friends at church who uh, w- he's retired military and he went to a reunion. And uh, his wife posted that normally, like hotels in the area, when they would uh, when they would stay the night, would be like you know eighty dollars at the max, you know. Uh, but right now, she said they're like all four hundred dollars a night because people are just you know people are willing to pay that much because they're they're up north. I can't remember exactly where they are, but they're up north for the eclipse. And uh, she said, you know, hey, this is crazy. We're trying to <laughs> we're trying to get out of here as fast as possible, but uh, they weren't they weren't expecting that four hundred dollar uh, a night uh, room, especially you know that's that's a big hit when you're used to paying eighty dollars a night or you were expecting to pay eighty dollars a night. But anyway, so that that'll be happening. Uh, we'll just see we'll just see how all that goes. Uh, someone posted on the Barbara posted on the Facebook group that. She's kind of noticed, maybe. Uh, she was kind of throwing it out there. Do you think you see any animals or insects acting kind of weird? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, part of it or not, maybe. Uh, so we'll go from there. But uh, let's go ahead and get started on this podcast, on the Monday podcast. Our first article comes to us from preparednessadvice.com. And uh, again, another power grid one. And I know that I do a lot of the EMP, power grid, um, those kinds of things because I think power is just so important to us. We don't realize what we have until we lose it. It's one of those kinds of things, right? And so we're just so used to flipping on the switch and it's there. We're so used to turning down the AC. And I don't know about where you're at, but down here in Houston, we have had heat advisories for like the last uh, six or seven days. Uh, you know, my, my app, my weather app uh, has gone off, you know, till seven o'clock at night. I mean, that's crazy. The other day, um, I, have, I was mentioning this to a friend, the boys made a, a, uh, a pizza late, you know, late in the afternoon and it just kind of really heated up the house and, and it just goes to, to, again, one of those things is like, if you don't have to use the oven, don't use the oven. And I wish, you know, it was a good lesson for them to learn, but it just kind of heated up the house a little bit. And then even a little bit later on in the evening, as things were going on and, you know, the AC was still blasting, I'm like, what, you know, it, it was still took a while for it to, to cool down. 
and I mean, we have a decent AC and all that kind of stuff. I checked the temperature outside uh, yesterday, last night, and it was, uh, you know, it was like 87 degrees, and this was like at 8 o'clock, 8, 9 o'clock at night. It was 80-something degrees, but it felt like 97, and I uh, mean, that's just, that's just hot. And so when we were talking about power, we don't realize how important power is. And so if that really ever truly happened, if we truly ever lost power, if we ever truly lost our grid, there's going to be a, a lot, a whole heck of a lot of an adjustment for us. And, and there's some things that we should think about because people are going to die because of the heat. People are going to die because they're dehydrated. People are gonna just. There's gonna be a lot of a lot of suffering when people have been used to that. Right now, if you have uh, your lights go out, uh, you know you can go to another part of the city. You can go and you can pack up and you can go to uh, another city and, and rent a hotel room or whatever. Um, uh, you know, Houston is so big. Uh, times that, and I've written an article about that. Actually, I'll post that one. Right, lessons learned from. Uh, we had a uh, one of our one of our power. Uh, I guess the power stations over here kind of had a, had a big fire and kind of went out. And so a lot of the homes here uh, were out and it affected a lot of people in, in our neighborhood, in our area. But my parents, of course, had AC. So, I mean, we packed up and went over there uh, and because they were saying that it was going to be, you know, way into the next day before we received electricity back and got all that kind of stuff fixed. But anyway, so you're used to that you're used to being able to go find some kind of electricity some kind of power some kind of ac somewhere uh, but that's not going to always be the case if uh, our grid fails or emp or anything like that so uh, not necessarily don't want to be the sensational hey you know emp we're all you know going back to the stone age but i think it's just important to think about these kinds of things so um, let's go ahead and get started on this one uh, america's power grid vulnerable or not the current threat posed by North Korea can be debated back and forth, but one thing we know for certain is that the country's dictator, Kim Jong-un, has weapons capable of an EMP, or electromagnetic pulse attack. This thought is terrifying, and we citizens have no way of knowing how far those capabilities go and where or not, whether or not we might live in a targeted area. Not very comforting, and I tend towards paranoia in the best of times. A war here on American soil is a terrifying thought. Dictators are more interested in self-preservation than anything else, and perhaps that's the one thought that gives me a bit of comfort. All the same, America's power grid are not all that secure, and definitely not hardened against this type of attack. America has three separate power grids, the Eastern Grid, the Western Grid, and the Texas Grid, which is owned by Texas. These three networks are not connected with each other. Therefore, if one should go down, it cannot get energy from the other two. These grids, these grids connect power generating plants with giant transformers that once installed weigh over 800,000 pounds. From these primary transformers, power is transmitted along high voltage lines that connect with smaller transformers and substations, which ultimately bring power to homes, businesses, and industries. As impressive as our generating stations are and as complex as the system is, there are numerous weaknesses that make it vulnerable to an EMP as well as sabotage, cyber terrorism, and a coronal mass ejection. The giant transformers that collect the initial power generated would be rendered inoperable by an EMP. These transformers are not built in the United States. Our country no longer has the forging equipment to make something that large. 
It generally takes a couple of years to build transformers this size, and that's assuming current infrastructure is in place and functioning. In a big enough crisis, it might be possible for a power station to procure one of these giant transformers more quickly, but that isn't something anyone should count on. Even though many power plants have backup transformers, these too could be disabled by an EMP unless they are protected in some way. Another weakness in our power grid system is the reliance on backup generators for the continued operation of our power plants. The concept is great and will work during a typical catastrophe such as a hurricane, earthquake, or short-term blackout. However, the pulse generated by an EMP will affect most of the systems that keep these plants running and that will most likely include the backup generators. Even if, some, even if some of these generators remain in working order, they will still need an indefinite supply of fuel to maintain a level of energy production, and the production and transportation of that fuel will be just as affected by EMP than the generators themselves. Finally, there is the human element. The people who run these power plants also have children and loved ones that they will want to protect and provide for in the event of a catastrophic event. In fact, these they more than most of us will quickly realize the implications of the power grid failure. It's unreasonable to expect them to continue on the jobs against all odds and in constant danger in order to make Herculean efforts to restore power, if that would even be possible. Without the necessary staff on hand, the plant cannot continue to operate. A number of years ago, I spent some time with a relative who had worked on a task force as a police officer in a large city. He was aware of the vulnerability of the, of the two large local power plants but said, The people who run these plants know about EMP and other threats but don't care to spend the money in order to harden their system. Why doesn't that surprise me? Congress hasn't shown much interest either. Two congressional EMP reports are almost a decade old and yet nothing has been done to protect the power grids the entire country relies on. Do take some time to read this report. It's more readable than most other government documents. As recently as 2015, members of Congress have been informed of the threat, but with no action. This emphasizes the need of every household in the country to go full-on yo-yo. You're on your own. It's pointless to sit and wait while those in power dilly-dally and collect contributions to their so-called war chest before making the decision to discuss an issue. With Kim Jong-un at the helm of a rogue country with nuclear weapons and 25% of the population participating in his military, we can laugh at the rotund director. Di, sorry, we can laugh at the rotund dictator, but with his pudgy finger near the nuclear green light button, it doesn't pay to ignore the menace. All right. So there's a couple of other articles here uh, that are linked that will you know uh, that are relevant, and then definitely comments to uh, to go check out. There's a couple of things. I mean, I. I guess I've heard it before. Maybe I've missed it somewhere along the line. I didn't, I, for whatever reason, I thought all the grids were connected at some point. I didn't realize that uh, Texas was was uh, stood on its own. Uh, but anyway, that's I guess that's good to know. But I still, it does, regardless, if it was an EMP, it would probably knock out all of them. Um, one of the things to think about is that if there was cyber terrorism, and it, let's say it knocked out the east the eastern grid we think about what that would have what would happen to all the people that were there i mean you would have some people of course that would never never leave but you would have some people that would get in their vehicles or even if they were uh traveling if they found out that the west coast or the western grid was still active or the texas grid was still active 
you can imagine the influx of people into the into those areas. I've never really thought about that one before. I don't know if anyone has uh, ever uh, thought about that. So that would be interesting. Maybe that would be an interesting book, right? Uh, how people would flee one part of the country uh, to to get uh, you know to have electricity. Anyway, that's over at preparednessadvice.com. Go check that out. There are some links there uh, that are relevant, especially the ones uh, dealing with the, um, the congressional EMP report. Uh, it's kind of crazy that you know all that work was put into it and then nothing was ever done. And you could, you could uh, harden our grid for a fraction of, of what it would cost if an EMP or CME or solar flare really did damage. Our next article comes to us from 1776patriotusa.com. Uh, and so Rourke has a, has a, it's a short article, Top 12 Barter Items to Stock Up On Now. You know, one of the things that when we talk about barter, I, well, let's do this. Let me read it and then I'll come back. Um, for those anticipating a complete breakdown of the economy, bartering is something that should be planned. Before diving into this list, I'll mention a couple of things that generally stir up controversy. First, the bartering of firearms and ammunition generally creates a huge argument. Why? The thought behind this is you'll trade a firearm and or ammunition and the recipient will turn it around and use it to take all of your stuff. Sure, it's possible. It's also possible that the trade could be conducted safely and with minimal risk. Second, the bartering of food creates almost as much craziness and the pre than the previous. Some people scoff at the idea of bartering food and they believe that you're trading away your very salvation. I totally disagree as you would not and should not conduct a trade unless there were sufficient stores of food which to do so safely. And third, discussions on silver and gold as barter items create enemies as opinions from most fall on, their, on either end of the yes-no spectrum. I'm avoiding that here and would appreciate if you would as well. On the list. The top 12 barter items to stock up on now. Number one is Spam. Available in numerous flavorings and packed with valuable protein, there is little doubt it would be highly desired in any kind of a food shortage. It is prepackaged in smaller, tradable quantities. Number two is Toilet Paper. Expl explanation not needed. Three is Candles. Candles provide those in need with light, fire, and warmth, while very inexpensive now, the demand and corresponding value in more desperate times will rise dramatically. Number four is alcohol. While some may find the inclusion of drinkable alcohol morally wrong, it remains a fact that a shortage of supply will increase its value. Five, flashlights and batteries. Grid down the night will be, well, very dark. There are very inexpensive LED flashlights that run on a single AA alkaline battery. Perfect for bartering. Number six is matches. Matches packed in 32 count boxes will be worth their weight in gold. Small in size, these boxes may be a form of currency at some point. Number seven, first aid supplies. Triple antibiotic ointment, band-aids, antibiotics, etc. will be very valuable. Purchasing multiples of small general purpose first aid kits would be an excellent prepackaged barter item. Cough, multi-symptom flu medicine during seasonal sickness times, extremely valuable. Number eight is cordage. A variety of cordage from twine to rope would be beneficial. If I had to choose one type, it would be paracord due to its cost and strength. Number nine, bar soap. Bar soap goes a long way and does a great job cleaning the body. Extremely inexpensive combined with a great shelf life, soap is a fantastic barter item. 
Number 10, feminine hygiene products. Enough said. Number 11, water filters. Individual water filters such as the Lystraw and Sawyer mini water filter will be extremely valuable should cleaning wa running water cease. Larger family size filters such as the Big Berkey and the Lystraw family. Number 12, hard candy. Something so simple will have high demand on the barter market. What an incredible treat to have or get some or get for someone you love when it's no longer manufactured. While this list suggests these 12 items as high value bartering tools, they are not alone. There are they there are countless valuable items that could take the place of any of those listed above. What would what other items would you suggest? So there's uh, about 20 comments here. Uh, at uh, over at 1776 Patriot USA. Um, so I wanted to talk just a little bit about this um, because when when you think about a barter bartering, I think sometimes people when they look at the items that are on there, they're thinking about items that people would want if you were in a collapse scenario. So like you think about um, you know how you're going to make fire, how you're going to do you know how you're going to do those kinds of things. Uh, and and you know making candy and or or having candy and and um, I, I want I want you to maybe think about that barter systems or ba barter towns or those kinds. I mean, there's going to be barter definitely. I mean, Selko talked about bartering when he was uh, when Syria, you know, SHTS school. He talked about that, but it was it was simple like uh, he used a propane tank to refill like Bic lighters. He found a way to do that and he was able to barter that. So yeah, okay, you, you have that. But I tend to think at, think, think towards moving beyond that, moving beyond a just, just survival because when you're in that survival situation, when you come across people, they might not be very friendly. You're you're gonna be you know uh, trying to figure them out. They're gonna be trying to figure you out, and uh, a lot of people might just even avoid that unless it was very very necessary to trade some of the things that they had. I tend to think more uh, about bartering when you get to the point of things are starting to uh, there's a little bit more normalcy coming about. So you think about like, uh, and I know this is all fictional, so. Uh, but anyway, you think about places that or uh, shows like uh, Jericho, right? At some point, a big bartering community uh, develops, and in that community, you know, you uh, you know, they had very strict rules and those kinds of things. But you could get whatever you needed there. Uh, when I think about books like uh, Mark Goodwin's books, Mark always at some point uh, has some kind of bartering community in there when things start to, uh, you know come together and things there's some normalcy there uh, people start to come together and sell their items and uh, it just they just you know it's like a big oh hey let's just get together and and uh, barter and trade and, and go from there so eventually eventually that would happen so when I think of barter again I don't necessarily think of the hey the grid down people are going to need matches um, I would tend to more try to go with the, the BIC you know BIC lighters and things like that but uh, one of the things that you uh, that you want to think about. So if you got to a barter situation where there was a barter eco economy, if there was a uh, you know a, a big o like a flea market type thing where you would go and you would uh, trade goods and, and different things like that, what could you make that would 
that you would be able to, to barter and trade uh, not just items that you would store, not just items that you would keep, but what could you do? I mean, could you make candles from, uh, you know, from scratch? Could you do that if you had to? I mean, people have done that for, you know, uh, for, for, you know, since the beginning of time when they realize what, you know, how to make candle and how to make wax and those kinds of things. Um, could you set up maybe a little bartering booth on sewing? Uh, a lot of people don't know how to sew and maybe you could repair rips and things like that you know maybe that's something you could do maybe you could take uh, you could make uh, clothes for people and, and those kinds of things so there's you know uh, I remember reading even uh, James Wesley Rawls's book uh, that one I think it's the second one from Patriots I can't remember the name of the book now survivors I think something like that uh, you had that African-American family where the grandmother uh, told the mom, told the mom, say, hey, you need to prepare. And so they, she starts buying all these seeds, and uh, then they open. They finally get to a place where they open up their little shop or whatever, and they're so they're able to sell seeds to people, and they have this this trade going on. Eventually, making root beer, right? And uh, you know, when you haven't had a soda, when you haven't had something to drink other than water, what would you what would you barter for something like uh, a root beer? You know. And so, I don't know. Thanks to thanks to consider uh, toilet paper, all that feminine hygiene products. I mean, I've talked about Venezuela. That was one of the things uh, that went pretty quickly. Is uh, toilet paper, uh, uh, diapers for kids, and, f and feminine hygiene products. So uh, anyway, uh, yeah. What, I mean, what would you? What if you? I mean, women who are used to feminine hygiene products. What if you could show them? Uh, another way of uh, you know taking care of, of meeting that need uh, in in a way of, of of taking care of that not necessarily something that you bought off the shelf uh, right and so I know I'm, I'm kind of going long on that but uh, some things to think about there uh, you know how would you where where would you see this barter economy uh, come up when you think about bartering are you thinking about uh, right after the collapse, or are you thinking after things settle down a little bit and things get, uh, you know, a little bit more back to normal? What would people really truly want? Um, you think about, you know, if you didn't have your store, what would you truly want? Uh, what would you, what would you give up? What would you trade? All right, that, that's over at 1776 Patriot USA. Go check that out. There's a couple of links in there as well. All right, this uh, last one comes to us from Backdoor Survival. And, uh, you know, this is one that, all right, so I know it was on the barter, barter list, uh, TP, right, toilet paper. Are you toilet paper prepared? And the thing is, is that toilet paper does not really, when you think about it, does not cost a lot of money. And you, you'll find articles like, hey, you know, uh, alternatives for toilet paper. And uh, I've seen a lot of these throughout the years, right? And people are like leaves and rocks and pine cones and all kinds of... I'm like, come on. I mean, think about using that after you're doing once... Or, I mean, if you're out in the wilderness and you get stuck and yeah, you need to use the restroom, okay, fine. But can you imagine doing that on a regular basis? I mean, come on, get, get real. Think about how that, that's going to affect your backside. And so one of the things that, that I know that I definitely want is I want to make sure that I have some freaking toilet paper. I mean, that's, that's just like, that's a, 
that's a, like a non-negotiable, right? I mean, you'll eventually, yes, it's going to run out. Eventually, yes, you're going to have to do something uh, because of that. And maybe I'll share here at the end uh, my idea of, of how you would handle that. And I really want some feedback on, on how that would work. But, uh, you, you know, this is, this is a way, this author has uh, provided a way, Donna has provided a way, where you could store up to uh, six months worth of toilet paper uh, really easily and not worry, uh, not worry so much about the, the rats and the mice getting to it. But anyways, let's go ahead and get into this one. This article is all about how you can have a year's supply of toilet paper no matter what size house or apartment you live in. Lack of sanitation has caused the death of many or more people worldwide than all of the wars in human history combined. Many of those deaths were due to poor sanitation methods and lack of understanding of diseases and how they link to poor hygiene. So, why is that the, those who live in prosperous countries do so little about that aspect of self-reliance? Sanitation is such a vital part of survival, yet do we consider it is a vital part of our survival preps? At least enough to have a year's supply of toilet paper and other sanitation supplies, as well as cleanliness knowledge. In making an educated guess here, there's only a tiny percentage of preppers that have a year's supply of this indispensable commodity. We have all seen the frantic rush to the supermarket when a snowstorm is predicted. Those TP rolls just fly off the shelves. But, 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 you say, how can I have a year's supply of toilet paper? I just don't have the room. I have a big family. I live in an apartment. Is it really possible to have enough TP in my small space? Good news. The answer is a resounding yes. Your space is definitely big enough. It takes about one square foot of floor space to store a six-month supply for two people. Do the math for your family's size. You can do it. You do have the space. If you have a garage, your TP storage will actually take no floor space at all. If you store it inside your house, no one will even realize that it is there because neither friends or family will be able to see it. It's a quick and easy project that will be fun for the whole family to work on together. For even more motivation to do this, just spend a little time thinking about what you would do without it. Hmm. I wish I could take credit for thinking of this ingenious storage method, but about four years ago, when I was searching for a better way, I came across this marvelous idea on a YouTube video. Since then, I have shared this idea with family or friends, family, neighbors, and anyone who wants to learn. Perhaps you have seen it, but if not, I am sharing in words and photos that what the video taught me, how we did it, and how we became fully toilet paper prepared. No last-minute scramble to the grocery or big box store just to discover that the shelves are bare of the essential items. I'm sharing how not to get caught with your pants down, so to speak, and with no vital solution close at hand. To make an accurate assessment of your family's toilet paper needs, keep a running list of the numbers of rolls and note the roll size your family uses for one week. Now multiply that by 52. The method used here costs less than the cost of buying toilet paper in those 12 packs and takes up far less of your precious floor space. It's all good. So let's begin. How to store toilet paper efficiently. The supplies needed. A one cardboard 10 inch masonry tube, duct tape, seven old plastic grocery bags, seven dryer sheets, a box of 12 cordless commercial size rolls of toilet paper. Exact information about this to follow. Once your supplies are together, this process only takes about 20 minutes to complete. Okay, so let's go. Here is the simple process to become fully toilet paper prepared. 
Below is a photo of the heavy cardboard tube that is used by contractors for pouring concrete foundation supports. The tube is open at the top and bottom. It can be bought at most stores that sell, sell contractor supplies, places like Lowe's or other similar home supply stores. The cost, if I remember correctly, is around $10 to $12 for the tube. I can fit one in my mid-sized car, Kitty Cornered. They also fit flat in our small truck bed. And there's, uh, there's pictures here for you. The first step is to duct tape one end securely. Don't skimp on the tape. Then do it again in the opposite direction to add more strength to your makeshift lid. As Are you with me so far? Now turn the tube over so the taped end is on the floor and the opened end is at the top. Next, take an old plastic grocery bag and drop it into the tube, followed by one dryer sheet. Yep, that's one dryer sheet. You will need to order a box of cordless toilet paper. There are 12 very jumbo rolls per box, and for two people, one roll will last a bit over two weeks. So that's a six-plus month supply. These large cordless rolls are for use in toilet paper dispensers like you see in a storeroom. You can order a dispenser as well. Our dispenser cost was about $10 four years ago, but I just checked the cost today and the price has, of course, skyrocketed. You don't absolutely have to have a dispenser because when the time comes to use your emergency storage TP, you can simply slip a small smooth rope through the hole in the roll and hang it up. Here is a photo of the information on the box of toilet paper. I ordered it from Amazon. These were, these were one-ply since, at that time, the two-ply version was nowhere to be found. I have recently seen the two-ply cordless. Make sure you purchase cordless because the core size may not fit in a 10-inch masonry tube. Okay, the next step is to take two rolls of the cordless 9-inch rolls of toilet paper, seen below, and put them in an old plastic grocery bag that is snugly tied. Now drop them flat in down into the tube. They will gently slide to the bottom. Drop in another dryer sheet. And then there's pictures here just to show you what that looks like. Now repeat this process five more times until all the toilet paper is in the tube. Two rolls, two rolls of TP into plastic bags snugly tied, dropped into the tube, followed by a dryer sheet. The empty plastic bags at either end of the tube will help the bag containing the TP not to stick to the duct tape lids. The dryer sheets are to deter little critters like Mickey and Minnie from nibbling on your new precious and needed sanitary resources. This is a fun way to include children in the preparedness process. When an emergency comes and there is nothing but empty grocery shelves and the toilet paper is much needed, the children who have worked alongside you will not balk at using something a little different than they are used to using. Change is sometimes difficult for some younger children and having them to be a part of any storage or prepping process can lessen their fears, a huge asset during a stressful situation. Including children in emergency preparedness provides a self-reliance mindset that will serve them well throughout their life, a good topic for a future post. Now that you have all of the TP wrapped and properly installed into the tube, it's time to flip the tube gently and duct tape the other end the same way you, tip, you tape the first end. Here is the number of the newest two-ply cordless TP for, for you if you are interested in. So there's a link there to Amazon. You may be thinking, how can I store this huge tube in one square foot of space? Good question. All you need to do is slip it into the corner of a clothes closet where the back wall end, back, back wall, end wall meet. That space is usually dead space anyway and that space will never be missed. 
Another storage place option is the trusses or rafters in your garage or barn. Multiple of these tubes will fit there and other folks will not even imagine what is in them. One warning is to not put them close together. Leave several inches of space between each tube if you are storing them in the rafters. This is because those mice may make their nest in the little area where the tubes touch. Not a good thing. I'd also put a few more of those strong smelling dryer sheets around the tubes. Perhaps tape a few extra on the outside of the tubes. That should do the trick. Use your imagination to determine the best location in your house or garage. Multiple locations might be a good idea. Check them every now and then to make sure all is well. We have never had a problem with mice getting to the masonry tubes, but precautions should be taken. Perhaps a few traps placed strategically would add a layer of security. Here is one last suggestion to increase your sanitary preps. If you are forced to shelter in place inside your house and there is no power, no flushing, take a look at the alternative toilet that is easy to prepare at a very low cost. Just empty all of, your, all of the water from the bowl and tank by dipping it out. Save it though just in case it's needed. Place a heavy gauge black plastic garbage bag into the bowl and leave enough on the outside so the toilet lid can hold the bag in place. Keep a bucket of lime from the plant nursery nearby with a small about one cup scoop. After each use make after each use make sure to liberally spread or sprinkle a cup of lime into the bag and close the toilet lid. Sand will also help to keep the odor down but the lime is more effective. Sand is a safer option if you have small children. Depending on the number of people using this facility, the bag will have to be sealed and then, if possible, put into the dung hole in the ground away from your water supply and living quarters. Cover the hole containing the bag with dirt. This burying might be once a day, but no longer than every two days. When the crisis is over, the bags can be moved to a better location as suggested by your local municipality. Be sure to have a place to clean your hands. E. coli can be deadly, especially to older people, babies, and young children. It's not too cool for strong, otherwise healthy folks either. So clean hands in a bucket of water with a teaspoon of bleach in it and have a rinse bucket nearby. Paper towels should be available, then follow this cleaning with a hand sanitizer. Water is obtained from your water storage or hot water tank. So now that you know how to have all of the toilet paper you need and can store it in a very small space, there's no more excuses. Go forth and become totally TPP'd. Alright, um, so there's a couple of comments here in the, in the comment section and links and then pictures if you, this is something that you want to do. Um, I would say uh, you, one of the comments in uh, the comment section is, is that toilet, papers, toilet paper can degrade. And I would, I would say yes it can and it really depends on the type of toilet paper you have and uh, how strong it is. Because there's some toilet paper out there that is just made very, I mean, it's very strong, very absorbent, and that is going to last uh, a lot longer. Uh, we tend to buy, you know, big, uh, you know, like Sam's Club, uh, you know, big, uh, I guess the big package or whatever, and uh, it's not as sturdy. Um, it works really, really well, but uh, you can tell that. We, I guess when you uh, when you rub it, really, you know, you can you can tell that it would degrade really, really quickly. So my suggestion is, if you're not going to do something like this, I think you rotate it. Now, mice, mice and rats and all that kind of stuff, and critters and rodents getting in there. I mean, once they find, you know, that could be a problem because they're going to want to use it. It's easy material for them to use for their nests and things like that. So you want to be careful about that. But 
I think you know uh, one of the things you want to do is uh, first in first out on this uh, on with toilet paper as well and you can rotate this uh, as easily you know when you make these mason in uh, in someone said mentioned in the comment section they're called something else in uh, at Home Depot let me see if I can find that really quick for you okay so uh, Someone posted in the comments section that they're uh, they're known in the construction trade as sono tubes, and uh, Home Depot has them in the contractor area. So that's something to uh, something to consider there if you're going to Home Depot. So if you're wanting to make these, I mean those are going to be more like for storage. You make them and then you store it up there and uh, wherever you're going to store it and leave it there. But if uh, you know you're going to bring be bringing them in and uh, maybe not so much you know ready to store them like that, uh, you can be, just be doing the first in first out type thing and rotating. But really take into consideration the uh, um, just the quality of the toilet paper, right? And uh, what what uh, you know how strong it is and how long it would last. Uh, because yeah after a while you could see where it would start to uh, uh, start to degrade depending on what it is right and depending on how long you've had it how long it's been sitting there but I really believe that this is something that I think people really need to be thinking about uh, because yeah you're right uh, or what what the person said here what Donna said at the very beginning of this article is that uh, we don't really think about too much we think about food we think about water we think about defense those kinds of things and then you have like a you know uh i guess a package of four toilet you know roll of four to toilet paper and so that's something that uh if you don't have you're gonna miss that's gonna be something definitely so go check that out over at backdoor survival and start uh, thinking about how you can incorporate that into your preps and what you would be doing there's uh there's a lot of things there maybe we'll talk about that in the in the future right hey thanks so much for uh tuning in with us on this uh, Monday podcast. If you get a chance, come on over to Prepper website. Uh, we do a lot of uh, curation over there. A lot of articles that, you know, good articles, and we post them up on Prepper website. And it's not just, we're just not trying to fill the page. So it's good stuff for you uh, uh, that, you know, has been vetted. And uh, we we put it, put it out there for you. So uh, some of the best of the best, of the preparedness community and the things that are going out there uh, definitely it, it's crazy out there and so the better prepared we can be uh, the better if you haven't come by the Facebook group come and join that and be a part of our group and if you haven't joined the email list uh, I'd like to invite you to do that and uh, you'll automatically get enrolled for uh, the free e-course build a more self-reliant life with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until next time, stay prepped and aware. Peace.